This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello, and welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror films from the classic the camp to the cringe through the lens of disability. I'm your host, Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you here. So what is on the examination table for this episode? Well, I'm going to be talking about 2004's The Village, directed by M. Night Shyamalan and starring Bryce Dallas Howard in her kind of debut film role. Jacqueline Phoenix, Adrian Brody, William Hurt, Brendan Gleeson, Sigourney Weaver, Cherry Jones, Judy Greer. So, yeah, a pretty stacked cast, but, uh, yeah, that's what we're going to get into. And there's quite a bit to talk about with this film, so I'm not going to ramble. Let's just get into it. We have always had, since the day we settled here, a gentle understanding with the creatures who live beyond our borders. We do not stray into their woods. They do not come to our village. I have always pictured them in some ways as our protectors. They have allowed us to live here, nestled amongst them in this untouched place. By the markings we find this morning on our homes, I feel they were warning us. We may question ourselves at moments such as these. Did we make the right decision to settle here? I fear our days of peace are over. synopsis of the village is actually pretty simple for what kind of paints itself as a complicated movie. We open upon a death. Um, A child has died. 
the child of the character of Brendan Gleeson, and we see that the year is 1897, and we are in a pretty small insular community called Covington, surrounded by Covington Woods. We quickly get to learn a little bit more about this community. It is very isolated, and we learn that there are creatures that live in the woods, and so folks are not allowed to go beyond a certain border that gives them protection. Any ideas that if they don't go into the woods, the creatures don't come into their, their town, their village. And so they're not allowed to go into the towns that are beyond the woods. So there's some protections that are in place. The color red is banned for some reason. It's considered an unsafe color that attracts the creatures in the wood, draws them into the community. So anytime the color red is present, it's taken away. Um, seen as bad. So one of the characters that we're introduced to is Noah. Noah is played by Adrian Brody and has an intellectual or developmental disability. And Lucius wants to go into the towns, go through the woods and into the towns to get medicines because he thinks that that will cure Noah. And at first, the elders kind of blow him off, but he ends up going into the woods anyway, but gets scared, comes back, and then the creatures start kind of broaching the border and coming in to their village. And Lucius writes this note saying, it was me, I went into the woods, I kind of instigated all of this, and I'm really sorry. Um, the creatures do this a couple of times. The first time, they just... Um, drop some skinned animals that are found by children outside of the school. And um, I say just. It's just, I say that because no one actually sees the creatures. And then um, the second time they, you actually see the creatures, people see the creatures that are watching from the watchtowers. And um, they have to hide out. And uh, they leave red markings on the door. So going into the town is off the table because the threat has risen. So at this time, there's also a love story developing. And it's important to note that M. Night really wanted this to be more focused on being a love story. So you have Ivy um, and her sister Kitty. Kitty had taken a liking to Lucius and had gone to him to, you know, I guess, tell him that she had these feelings for him and, you know, wanted to be in a relationship that would lead to marriage. And he does not feel the same way and just kind of blows her off. And there's a quick little moment of know, the crying between Ivy and uh, Kitty as she's, you know, kind of mourning, you know, this guy didn't like me. And then she's 
moved on to another guy and they get married very quickly. So, but Lucius has kind of feelings for Ivy and we see that relationship develop. But Noah also has a liking for Ivy. They have been very close. So, uh, Noah goes to uh, Lucius's house when it's known that Ivy and Lucius have kind of entered into a relationship and he stabs him uh, a couple of times. And Noah's parents find him outside uh, sitting on their porch and his hands were covered in blood. He's very distraught. They <laughs> discover that it was Lucius who had been harmed. And of course, Ivy goes to see him and she says that she can't detect his color. So Ivy is blind and sees colors of people and senses things about people that others don't. So you get a little bit of that uh, kind of blind seer character trope there. But she's distraught because she can't see his color. So she pleads with her dad to go into the town to get medicines to save him. And he, her father takes her into the shed and reveals that the attacks of the creatures have been a farce. They have been in costumes. The elders have been dressed up. They have been the ones that have left the skinned animals. And it is basically to keep everyone in line. And he kind of is... He, he kind of softens all of this by saying, you know, this is all based on, you know, lore of the woods. You know, we're not just doing this. This actually has some foundation of, you know, these creatures may exist in the woods. But we've done this to keep everyone safe. So he allows her to go uh, into the woods and make her journey to the towns. She does this. And she encounters one of the uh, creatures in red, which happens to be Noah, who had found one of the costumes that his parents had hid under the uh, floorboards and had gotten out of the house and uh, went to attack um, Ivy in the woods. She traps him. He falls into a pit and dies. She makes it to the uh, kind of the uh, end of the woods. And at this time, this is when we get even more of the twist. Because the twist isn't just that these creatures aren't real. We find out that this community is actually set in present day, not 1897. This was a community founded by the elders um, at a much younger age in the 70s. Um, basically, all of these individuals faced some kind of trauma. They had had loved ones that had been murdered, raped, um, all kinds of things. And they, uh, led by Mr. Walker had kind of 
come to this conclusion that they would form this community, keep themselves kind of isolated from the outside world and protect themselves and their families. When Ivy reaches the edge of the woods, we realize that this is basically like a wildlife refuge. And so one of those really big areas and a guard um, sees her kind of scaling a fence and she gives him the list of medicines that she needs. Basically, the interactions happen in a way so that the, um, you know, the bubble doesn't burst. She still thinks that it's 1897 that they live in this community um, that is isolated in a way and that the towns are bad. Nothing has really been truly disturbed in that way. And it was one of the reasons that her dad wanted her to go and take this journey. He knew it was necessary and her being blind would mean kind of the best chance for them to continue with, you know, life as is. And that's kind of a conversation that happens with the elders. Um, you know, when he reveals to them that he's okayed her to go, it's like, well, she's blind and it's really our best, um, you know, our best bet to not only get the things that we need, but, uh, you know, be able to also maintain kind of the way of life that we've established here. So she gets the medicine that she needs. She comes back and that's the end. Now, before I talk about the characters and some of the plot details, I want to give a little bit of background to the film because as I've mentioned before, I think when I talked about uh, old, I like M. Night films. And I know that his films can be really hit or miss for folks, but I generally really like them. Obviously, there's a stretch of films that definitely aren't his best. But I think he is a unique storyteller with a unique perspective and and you can see lots of ideas and themes that are threaded throughout all of his work. So The Village is his sixth feature film. The first two are probably not incredibly wide, widely known. Uh, the first one, uh, Praying with Anger, was a student film which he starred in. It's based in India. Um, the second one was a slightly larger release and it's called Wide Awake. It has Rosie O'Donnell in it. And both films are really kind of autobiographical in a lot of ways, dealing with themes of family and faith and elements of his upbringing. Then you get to The Sixth Sense in 99. And so you've got The Sixth Sense, you've got Unbreakable, you've got Signs. Unbreakable and Signs didn't have the impact of The Sixth Sense, which was a huge breakout for him. They still, I think, were, you know, generally well received. Uh, I think Unbreakable maybe a little bit less at the time, but Signs, lots of people really dug. So then we get to The Village. 
the village really turned people off of M. Night, I think. You start to kind of see people, you know, who liked the Sixth Sense, Signs, Unbreakable, kind of turn away. The twists didn't work. They found the story kind of too implausible, too riddled with plot holes. These are kind of the common things that you see pop up um, in kind of conversations about it. And I think also, even though Bryce Dallas Howard is really good in the film, you also have Adrian Brody, who is fairly awful. And this is just coming off of his uh, Academy Award win. So, yeah, there was just some dings to this film that I think, you know, really made a lasting impression on kind of the trajectory of M. Night's career. But let's talk about some characters, and I want to start with Ivy. So Ivy is our main protagonist. I guess kind of shared main protagonist with Jacqueline Phoenix, but she's kind of our main character, and she is blind. We see her use a cane, uh, getting around, but for the most part, her disability just doesn't really seem to have any large impact in day-to-day -day life. Um, it doesn't seem to have any kind of influence on how people uh, treat her or relate with her, um, which is kind of an interesting element to the character. Now, I mentioned that the character of Ivy does fall into some of the trappings of the blind seer character trope. She has these heightened senses. She hears things a little bit before others do. She senses colors from people. But neither of these things have, I think, a huge impact on the overall story. You know, it isn't her ability to sense things or see colors from people that allow her to be somewhat OP, overpowered. So, I don't know. Um, and, and really, her disability only really matters in terms of the twist. When she's able to go out into the world because she's blind and there's a likelihood that she's not going to, you know, be uh, able to report back to others that, you know, this is what's really going on. The way of life can continue for this village. So I feel like this is some really heavy handed, you know, kind of commentary or statement about how we want to turn um, away from harsh realities of the world, you know, quote unquote, turn a blind eye to the things that we don't want to acknowledge in life. And this is kind of a theme within the, the village and with the elders. They started this village because they wanted to be away from threats of the world. But just secluding yourself doesn't remove all of the threats. And there's little to no thought about what other um, issues you may be introducing as a result 
of this plan. So it just seemed like a really haphazard way to make some kind of statement on that by having the character be blind. But like I mentioned previously, I think that Bryce does a really great job with the role. Her performance overall is really quite good. It's just the overall character and story leave a bit to be desired, but she makes the most of what she has for sure. She's definitely, I think, the the breakout and the standout of the film. And I think that's really impressive given, you know, some of the other actors that she's sharing scenes with and, you know, this being her first film role. She had been doing, I think, a lot of theater at that point, but, you know, this was her first film role and she, I think, is really, really good in the role. And that brings me to talking about Noah and Adrian Brody, where we have kind of the flip side of this. A pretty terrible performance that I'm not exactly for sure what he is trying to do with the character. So I have been struggling to kind of find a way to describe this performance. And in kind of prep of doing this episode, I listened to the village episode of the blank check podcast um they did all of m night's films a while back and then have gone back and and done i think recent episodes on old as well so um i was listening to their village episode and they used the phrase simple jacking and don't know how i how much i love that phrase, but it's, I guess, kind of a way to describe, uh, you know, quote unquote, cripping up, uh, with the kind of IDD emphasis. It's one of these things that you, (laughs) you see so often in the portrayal of characters with intellectual developmental disabilities. Characters are violent, unpredictable, a liability, to others and the character of Noah checks all of these boxes so um and and the choices that I think Adrian made only kind of made what was already not great a lot worse within the performance and oddly enough like just coming off of uh Academy Award win he hasn't really done a lot of like huge projects, um, you know, since he's obviously been in lots of Wes Anderson stuff, but, um, you know, it's been, I think, fairly quiet for someone who had won an Academy Award. And I guess to wrap things up, the only other thing I would mention is, you know, some of being disability related in some way, I guess, is the overprotective parent theme you have this group of elders that uh, formed this village and committed themselves and their families to this way of life as a form of protection and have in doing so really isolated themselves and their families from others and you know the fact that they have to isolate themselves in this way means that 
folks probably aren't getting the medical care that they need, obviously. You know, who who is the village doctor? How are they getting, um, you know, easy access <laughs> to medication? Because if the situations that we see play out in the film are any indication, you know, just regular medications can be really hard to come by and not just easily accessible. So, you know, that poses a lot of risk for people who may have various health issues. And, you know, if someone breaks an arm, how is that being treated and managed properly? So, <laughs> um, you know, there's that element, but, you know, also just the idea of parents being overbearing or uh, overprotective, especially if their children have, uh, you know, disability or significant healthcare needs. You see this as kind of a theme in some films. Um, you know, one that comes to mind instantly is uh, Run with Sarah Paulson that came out maybe two, three years ago. Um, and I think is on Hulu. And it's, you know, the overprotective uh, parent of a disabled kid um, kind of motif there. It's a little different. Um, it plays out a little bit different in, in that film, but you get what I'm, what I'm kind of getting at. And yeah, you know, parents that think that they're doing the best for their kids, but maybe, you know, introducing a lot of additional risks that they may not be accounting for and the impact that that can have. So, yeah, I think, you know, The Village, definitely not one of my favorite M. Night films, but I understand why some people have gone back and reassessed it and said, you know, it's really not the worst. And I don't think it is the worst. I do think that the premise is really fascinating. And, you know, I'm someone who really loves kind of that religious and cult-twinged horror. And there's vibes of that. You know, Covington definitely has a a hard of feel to me in, you know, just these communities that have their way of life that's different from surrounding areas and um, there's not a lot of religious speak in the film, but there's, you know, bits and dashes. So that said, I do agree with a lot of the criticism that I've seen about this film, especially with the plot being, you know, a little bit half-baked and the ending not really having the payoff that it should to make you know everything that came before it work i think a lot of people will say that they you know like a lot leading up to the end but the twist of it being current day the monsters not being real all of that just doesn't <laughs> really result in kind of the satisfying ending that has worked in, you know, The Sixth Sense, Signs, and Unbreakable. It just doesn't have that heft. And so, yeah, I, I have to agree there. Honestly, I like The Visit and Old more than uh, The Village as well. Uh, and I, you know, I have only seen... Uh, knock at the cabin once and so you know I think maybe another view of that one and I can kind of feel comfortable where I would rank it but 
So yeah, another M. Night film in the books. A lot of his movies, I think, do have some interesting themes. Like, I thought about doing Unbreakable along with Brightburn to talk about kind of the disability superhero, supervillain thing from that kind of different angle. Um, and I may cover it at some point um, because I do find that interesting, especially when you get into kind of that trilogy of Unbreakable Split and Glass. I absolutely love The Visit, so I will definitely be covering that one in the near future. So, very cool stuff. Um, and yeah, nice to, to go back to uh, M. Night. I hope that you have uh, enjoyed this episode. And as always, uh, you can feel free to reach out, drop me a line, say hello, offer suggestions of films that you think would be interesting to cover here. I've gotten um, actually a couple of emails with some really great ideas, and there are some really cool things in the works with some guests coming on in the next couple of months. So I am incredibly excited about that. So uh, do stay tuned for updates on all of that. A huge, huge shout out and thank you to Anatomy of a Scream, the home and the heart of Bodies of Horror. I just endlessly feel really proud and honored to be uh, part of the pod squad and alongside some truly phenomenal people. So, um, you know, if you haven't been checking out all the new shows that have been uh, coming down the pike on the anatomy of a screen feed, I highly, highly recommend you do so because there's great stuff um, and new shows are dropping all the time. So that will do it for this episode. And until next time. The Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad.